This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to this week's show of Property Batters. We're going to be talking all things property here, a little bit of a sprinkling around what's happening with regards to the market, a few tenancy reforms that are mooted in the Residential Tenancies Amendment Bill, uh, local news, bit of national, let's just see where it takes us today. We're actually going to be starting in Wanganui. Now, there are some Wanganui Riverside buildings that have been set for demolition. Some of you may know the two fringe Taupoki buildings are between the Wanganui Produce Centre and Marketplace. Wanganui District Council Property Manager Leighton Toy said the buildings were leased by UCOL, but the Protitech surrendered its lease and the buildings have been reverted to the council at no cost. So they are for demolition and removal, and the council is asking for funding for the demolition, perhaps from the Provincial Growth Fund. Councillor Rob Vinson told the council's Property and Community Services Committee the buildings were at eyesore. He said the sooner they're pulled down, the better, and, and they are near the intensively used P.S. Waimuri Wharf and Wanganui River Market. So it'd be nice to have uh, something developed there that'll be a bit more appealing to the eye. Watch the space to see where that one goes. If I hear any news, I'll keep you up to date. This article from stuff.co.nz, Palmas North Business Sales Market Makes Cautious Return. And this article by Paul Mitchell says that no businesses have sold in Palmas North since the coronavirus lockdown. ABC business sales broker Steve Davey said buying a business was a big investment and prospective buyers were waiting for a few months of post-lockdown financial figures, but the mood in the market is still positive. A lot of deals fell over when the lockdown hit, he said, including the potential sale of the distinctive Akabar bar and restaurant on Broadway Avenue. But interest has bounced back strongly and ABC alone has $10 million of sales in negotiation. Mr Davies said in normal times a two business would spend on average six months on the market but is confident that this would have been the case for Akabar had it not been for the pandemic. So Graham and Marie Donald put the distinctive bar and restaurant up for sale nine months ago and made it as a combination of age and health problems made it a bit impractical to hold on to. Graham Donald said the business was going well post lockdown so the disruption wasn't too big a spanner in the works. And of course the biggest hurdle when selling a a business like that, he says, is finding someone willing to take on the time and commitment of running a hospitality business. It would be terrible to close it down after 25 years of hard work, he said, but that's something that might have to be considered. However, Mr Davies said the prospects of selling a solid business right now were good. As happened in the aftermath of the 2008 global financial crisis, a wave of people who had lost jobs or been put off by the insecurity of the employment had decided to take on their own business. And Mr Davies said there's also lots of inquiries from one or two businesses from Kiwi expats wanting to come home. And much of the interest was in what he termed mum and dad businesses worth between three and $500,000. With low interest rates and one or two businesses providing an average return of investment of 20 to 30%, larger companies were also drawing the eye of investors. 
We'll have to see how things are going there, but generally things are positive, at least from those articles, with regards to the mindset around COVID. Here's some news from slightly further afield in New Zealand. Uh, This one from Stuff Lifestyle. Demand for houses in Taranaki soars despite uncertainty. And it says that the house prices are continuing to climb despite the economic uncertainty from COVID-19. The end of the wage subsidy and the continued decline in business confidence is unlikely to dampen Taranaki's buoyant housing market with realtors across the region reporting soaring house prices and a shortage of listings. Again, this demand from New Zealanders returning home will buffer any easing in demand for homes, even after September 1 when the wage subsidy ends, Peter MacDonald, Executive Director of MacDonald Real Estate, said. I think the market has enough momentum to keep it going forward with the lack of listings and also people coming home. I don't think ending of the wage subsidy will have too much effect. It'll be interesting if a similar thing happens here in Manawatu. And that will keep the market active, even if there is a quiet time. Usually July and August are quieter, but that's not the case in Taranaki at the moment. So the Taranaki figures from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand actually report uh, reported in May that the median house prices increased 16.7% from the year to, from May 2019, reaching a median sales a median price, I should say, of 426,000 for the region as a whole. Median prices now sit at 480 in New Plymouth, 282 in South Taranaki, and 290 in Stratford. So, therefore, half half the properties sell above and half below that, of course. So, I was, I was looking at the figures, and I haven't got that to hand, but there are uh, tens of thousands of Kiwis coming home to New Zealand now, and this this will uh, create some demand on the housing market, which already has a fair bit of demand on it, but may offset things there. So, even in this article, Harcourt's Team Taranaki Director Graham Richards said he expected Kiwis returning from overseas would bolster the market even if the end of the wage subsidy doesn't have an effect. He said if there's a drop-off, it will certainly get sucked up by these guys, I'm sure. He said he knew of just a few people opting to sell their homes because they'd lost their job, and that mirrors my experience here in the Manawatu. There are some people having to sell, um, but not many at all. So the good thing with the growing confidence in the regions is that uh, we've been helped by the low interest rates and the easing of loan-to-value ratio restrictions which have brought investors back into the market. So Manawatu, we need a lot more properties to sell um, in order to meet the demand of people moving into the area, moving back into the area, and all the people that are coming here for the various projects that are happening as well. So if you are a bit concerned about the Pricing around the country and what you can get and can't get. You may have noticed in that article that I was just uh, paraphrasing from, yeah, southern Taranaki, some pretty cheap housing there, the median house prices. So Stuff did an article that says what 250000 or less buys you around New Zealand. And they gave some examples. Let's just have a, a brief browse over this. I know you can't see the pictures that I'm looking at, but I'll try to describe to you. So where do you have to go in New Zealand to find a house for under 250000 Well, the answer, out of Auckland. Well, that's no surprise. But the charm of some of these listings found in the far south and far north uh, of the country might attract you to go and spend 250000 or less. So Stuff did a search on Trade Me, and there are 
500 houses for sale if you exclude relocatable homes for 250000 or less. So what they've done is on this article they've found five homes around the country. There's one here in the West Coast uh, at, at uh, 9 McCain Place, 140000 So this is a two-bedroom, one-bathroom bungalow in Cobden. There's an entry-level property uh, with a price to match its description. So it's a 90-square-metre house built on a almost a, well over a quarter-acre section, walking distance from the beach and roughly 2Ks from the nearest set of shops, 140000 the listing agent said the property has been on the market for four days. We've already had two viewings lined up from the pool of buyers at this end of the market, investors and first home buyers. This is the old X-State house, nice and solid, solidly built, probably just needs a bit of an update. But that's pretty good to know you can get into a property at that level. There's another one here at Danny Verk. Maybe I should go for a drive, a 45-minute drive over the, over the hills there. Um, 3 Ortunga Street in Danny Verk. Inquiries over 200,000. So this two-bedroom cottage is apparently oozing with street appeal and it's been listed for two weeks. And agent Melanie Silver said it was pretty much all done inside, including new carpet, upgraded insulation, open-plan kitchen and dining to get the all-day sun, separate lounge and a freestanding wood fire. So it's pretty pretty cute. And uh, they've got lots of, she's, this agency has got lots of cute little houses around Danny Verk, but it's rare to see one in such good condition. I'd say this one's probably looking at it about a 1910 sort of home. Right, even in Taranaki, as we mentioned earlier, if you go to Waverley in South Taranaki, 13 Bear Street, 197,000, contemporary two bedroom home, and it's uh, 45Ks from Wanganui um, and Haldra. It's been on the market for two weeks and had multiple offers above its marketing price. So the agent says that 60% of the potential interest for this property came from the greater Taranaki and Wanganui region. The other 40% have been from other regions countrywide. So that's a, a two-bedroom property for 197 It says in the article that Waverley provides a unique opportunity in a country township lifestyle with local industry growing. The regions either side of the township are pricing out some of the potential buyers from this region. It is a positive for this established, creative, thriving rural township. If you want to go a bit further north, um, Bay of Plenty, uh, there's a property at 78 Tawa Street. This is in the isolated township of Murapara, but it's a three-bedroom newly renovated home with a single garage for 179000 Incredible. Again, the agent listed it, had multiple offers within several days, um, and the relatively high price, they say, at 179000 of this property comes down to its carpet, vinyl, fresh paint inside and out. Finally, in the under 200,000 category is this property in Gore at 44 Hamilton Street. Uh, and even in Gore, it's rare to find a house under $200,000. This is a three to four bedroom gem in the Southland town that's best known uh, by the wider nation for its lo- colourful locals and their accents. But New Zealanders aren't exactly flocking to the far south for affordable housing like they are in the mid sized regions, but a steady stream of investors keeps the local market ticking over. So there we go. So let's look back in the big smoke. We started with Auckland, saying so you couldn't buy anything in Auckland. Well, actually, you can. You can purchase a lovely freehold car park in Hobson Street, which for $85,000. So if you want to buy a car park in Auckland, uh, that's an option. However, you may want to buy uh, one of those larger places <laughs> around the country. So that's uh, just a bit of fun there. Now, this next article is from NZ Advisor online. 
www.cnz.co.nz. So the article says revealed sales activity recovering rapidly. It says that sales activity is recovering rapidly after the COVID-19 lockdown with banks and real estate agents seeking property valuations in numbers the same as last year. Quotable value, that's QV's latest data, revealed that the number of sales in April 2020 dropped by 80% compared to April 2019, may drop by 45% compared to the same month of last year, and it's not yet determined the volume of sales in June, but activity in the valuations industry showed the sales activity is recovering rapidly across New Zealand. It is starting to feel like definite levels of normality are beginning to return to the housing market, said Nick Goodall, the head of research at QV's parent company CoreLogic, as uh, reported in Stuff. We're still processing the sales volume data. We don't know how many sales have occurred in June. We think levels will be pretty close to being back to normal, he continued. The number of valuations done by banks and appraisals done by real estate agents are back to normal levels. The QV report also revealed a 0.2% drop in house prices across New Zealand in June, with Queenstown taking the hardest fall at 2.1%. Some areas, such as Christchurch and Tauranga, saw an increase in house prices up by 0.2%. The government economic support, record low interest rates and mortgage holidays prevented forced sales and cushioned house prices, said Goodall. And as a result, Dunedin's average house value at the end of June hit 18.9% higher than the same period last year, while that in Wellington was 10.4% higher. The average Auckland house value at the end of June remained at $1.08 million, and Christchurch half of that at 518000 so I'll do now is we'll go to a little bit of music and I feel like something a bit laid back, but in the housing theme, this is Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Our House. I'll light the fire You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today Staring at the fire Hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs all night long.
very, very fine house With two cats in the yard Life used to be so hard Now everything is easy cause of you Flowers in the vase that you bought today. And you're back with Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson, your host. Uh, you're listening to Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi, o Nga Tangata, o Manawatu. Alternatively, where all good podcasts are found. Now, let's talk about real estate agents for a minute. Ooh, let's lower the tone, shall we? Let's lower the tone because many people give New Zealand real estate agents a very hard time. So here's an interesting article from scoop.co.nz around real estate. And here's the headline. New Zealand ranks among top of the world in real estate transparency. So interesting that through 11 editions of the Global Real Estate Transparency Index spanning over two decades, uh, JLL, which is the, the organisation, have created what is today the most industry's most widely used and highly valued benchmark for assessing real estate transparency. So the 2020 index is launched at a time of massive economic and societal disruption as governments, businesses, communities grapple with the impacts of COVID-19. The pandemic has brought the issues of transparency and trust into even sharper focus. So their latest survey of 99 countries and territories reveals that New Zealand continues to punch well above its weight, led by greater emphasis on corporate social responsibility and the wider adoption of new technologies. So in terms of uh, real estate transparency, New Zealand and Australia are the only countries from Asia-Pacific in the top 10, which includes United Kingdom, United States, France, Canada, the Netherlands, Ireland, Sweden and Germany. So it's quite quite interesting to know that uh, they they look at the transparency around uh, when compared to other types of investment, and the single biggest driver of real estate transparency globally since two thousand eighteen has been sustainability commitments and an increased focus on social responsibility and acknowledgement that we need to create sustainable buildings to bring the environment, social, and governments considerations into the mainstream and that's quite a, a mouthful but uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has sped up a lot of the uh, increase in technology they say and that the New Zealand system is very transparent. So going back now to a little bit of news from QV that's quotable value and this through tvnz.co.nz. We alluded a bit to this in the first half of the show but this article says returning Kiwis may hold key as house prices remain steady. So the CoreLogic QV house price index rose 1.3% in the three months to June, with the average house price rising to $738,018. QV's general manager David Nagel said, despite the slight cooling, open homes and auctions continued to be well attended and the market was experiencing good competition, particularly from first home buyers. It's looking better than a lot of us thought, he says. The real estate sector's recording strong interest from vendors with listings close to normal levels for this time of year. 
banks are recording good levels of inquiry, so I guess the question is, is it sustainable? So he said that the market's resilience would partly depend on returning New Zealanders feeding buyer and tenant demand. That's a lot of people that have to find somewhere to live and makes up significantly for what will be a significant reduction in normal migration numbers. Certainly they're filling the void at the moment. So it's really interesting that the tens of thousands of uh, people moving here from overseas have been replaced by tens of thousands of Kiwis coming home. Very interesting to see what's going to happen with the housing market there. David Nagel goes on to say that keeping the interest rates low and reducing unemployment and keeping COVID-19 out of the country will also play a part. He said June saw a year-on-year growth drop slightly to 7.4% compared with the previous month, which was 7.7%. So there's some flattening with variations around the country. So what we've seen in 13 of the 16 major urban areas that we're monitoring showing a reduction in value growth from the previous month. So that just means that growth is slowing. Still growing but it's just slowing. He said high demand would keep values from falling too fast. So that's some good news. And certainly high demand here in the Manawatu is helping. He says there's a lot of buyers out there, particularly in that entry-level range, and there's a lot of competition between first-home buyers and property investors who are looking to enlarge their portfolio. He said that the growth is likely to contract further with the wage subsidy and many mortgage holidays finishing up before the end of the year. So he says, I think there'll be harder times ahead, but the way that we're heading, I don't think there's going to be a huge impact on the property market. He says maybe something like 5 or 10%, but to put that in context, most properties in the last 12 months have had a gain of 5 to 10%, so all we'll do is lose the gains from the last 12 months. Well, to put that in context, recently Palmas North went up 20% and Wanganui up 30%. So a change of 5 to 10 just means that we're going to slow the growth, but still going to grow. Other news this week was the Select Committee report released uh, and to do with the Residential Tenancies Act and the Real Estate Institute has come out disappointed that the industry feedback has been disregarded. So the government has been moving this under the radar when all or just about all legislation stopped during COVID-19. They carried on with the Residential Tenancies Act, making it hard for people to submit, in my opinion, um, to, however, Real Estate Institute and the Property Investors Federation uh, and a large majority of people working in the industry have been campaigning for months to explain how the, the proposed changes could negatively impact on landlords and investors. Bindi Norwell, the Chief Executive at the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, says over the last eight months we've made clear our concerns around the fact that should the proposals go ahead, Rental property owners will have limited abilities to remove tenants who are causing problems in their rental properties or causing troubles with the neighbours. So there are already provisions in place to protect tenants who believe a no-cause termination is retaliatory. So I'm just going to uh, mention what this is. That in the, the bill, they're wanting to do away with the ability for landlords to give 90 days' notice. Um, this is only ever done in about three in every 100 tenancies and half the time is for antisocial behaviour. So it's where uh, the landlord can just give a tenant three months to move out. So this bill will do away with that. Um, so that, however, if landlords were misusing that under the current legislation, so they're just moving people on because they're upset that the tenants have asked them to do some repairs or something like that, well, then landlords can pay up to $4,000 in damages. So the Real Estate Institute preferred that, that the existing 
way of doing things at work should be left in place, but maybe up the penalties on landlords for doing this maliciously. So the difficulty with this is that in a new situation, if you have antisocial tenants, that is, you know, swearing at neighbours, loud music, you know, squealing car tyres, all those sorts of things, a landlord's now going to have to be able to prove three instances of antisocial behaviour, and the key is prove, that's a very hard one, um, in order to even file a tenancy agreement to be able to end a tenancy. So so it's a real, real tricky one there because the... Uh, imagine trying to get witnesses to come forwards against antisocial tenants, let's say if it was a gang, for example, or someone like that. They'd be too scared to come forward, and the landlord cannot move these people on using the 90-day notice. So a major issue there that has been spotted uh, by the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand but seems to be being um, largely ignored as the government wants to uh, protect people's tenancies. And so what I'd argue is that they're protecting the people whose tenancies don't deserve to continue. So that's something which is uh, worthy of um, hopefully a bit more thought, but we'll have to see how that goes. A little bit of a word of warning here. Here's an article from stuff.co.nz. This is a tenancy-related one. Northland mum had cold showers for a month after landlords didn't fix cylinder. A mother had to bathe her infant son at her father's house and have cold showers for a month after her landlord refused to fix the hot water cylinder. This is hard to believe. But Monique Fisher rented a house in Northlands, Whangarei. On December 18th, she, was, she told her landlord's daughter, who lived in the Netherlands, that the hot water was not working. However, the daughter's, landlord's daughter refused to get it fixed because the previous tenant had said there was nothing wrong with it. And there were no issues when Fisher first moved in. <laughs> That's incredible. Fisher went to the tenancy tribunal and issued the owners, who lived in Korea, with a 14-day notice to repair it. The broken hot water cylinder was eventually fixed on about January the 20th. Adjudicator Nicholas Blake said if the landlord's daughter had responded correctly to Fisher's first email, it was very likely the cylinder would have been repaired before Christmas. He said Fisher had been left in the stressful position of having to deal with property problems herself as the overseas owners had not appointed an agent in New Zealand and had been out of the country for the full duration of the tenancies. Blake said... Also said, this adjudicator also said, a lack of working smoke alarms in the house was endangering Fisher and her son. So despite Fisher sending multiple emails, the owners had taken no action, which is hard to imagine. They also failed to provide a copy of the tenancy agreement, despite Fisher emailing and asking for it twice. And as a result, Fisher received an email from the landlord's daughter in February telling her that her mother had decided to sell the house and she had six weeks to move out. The landlord's daughter later withdrew this notice, then made another attempt to end the tenancy on June 17th by sending a 90-day notice. Although this notice complied with the Residential Tenancies Act, the adjudicator said it was arguably retaliatory, which is what I was talking about in the previous article. So Fisher's landlord, Kuiwa Hoang, excuse the pronunciation, was ordered to pay her almost $4,000 in exemplary damages and compensation. She also had to ensure working smoke alarms were installed, otherwise the rent would be reduced by $100 per week until it was done. So there's an example of a landlord doing things absolutely wrong. Uh, If you've got a landlord who's acting in a similar way, they're breaching so many laws that you can get exemplary damages. That's all we've got time for on Property Matters today. It's been lovely having your company. I'm Greg Watson here on npr.nz or where all good property podcasts can be found. Have a great week. If 
you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. 